All right. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We are reading from Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, I think we're going to have the text up on the screen as well. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray today that our ears would be open and that our hearts would be open to not just what you would speak to us and what we can learn, but to what you feel when you look at this world. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, please, God, save us from ourselves. Save us from American culture that so easily hides from the needs of this world. Open our hearts to you, God. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the context of this passage. Paul and Barnabas have come to Jerusalem to clear the gospel they are preaching with the apostles. So it's, it's James, uh, the brother of our Lord, and Peter and John are meeting with Paul and Barnabas, and they're deciding exactly what the gospel is and setting it, and um, they, they decide this, that James, John, and Peter are going to take the gospel to the Jews, and Paul and Barnabas are going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And they, they make this decision. And then the parting words of the apostles to Paul and Barnabas are this. Only do this one thing. With everything else that we've given you, only do one thing. Remember the poor. Not remember us, not remember that we're the ones in charge and we're the authority and that we're the apostles. No, do this one thing. As you preach the gospel, as you live the gospel, remember the poor. Interesting, not solve the problem of poverty. Not try to figure everything out and try to make everything right in the world, but simply as you preach the gospel, as you live the gospel, remember the poor. And then Paul says this, the very thing that I was eager to do. We're going to talk about the poor for two weeks. This week is remembering the poor justice. Next week is remembering the poor compassion. I want to look at first why Paul was so eager to remember the poor. Point one, God remembers those who remember the poor. First, he repays them. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Now, this is very interesting because 
God says in Job that he owes no one anything. It's quoted by Paul in Romans eleven thirty five. Who is given to God that he should be repaid? And the clear answer is no one. God isn't in anyone's debt, but God breaks his own rule here. There is one way that I will be in your debt if you give to the poor, if you're generous to the poor, if you will take up my cause for the poor. God makes the rules, God breaks the rules. He has a profound relationship with the poor. Listen to Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. How you, how you and I treat the poor is how we are treating God. He has taken up this identification with the poor. So much so that when we give to the poor, when we're generous to the poor, we are lending to God and God promises repayment. Uh, secondly, he hears their prayers. This is those who remember the poor. God remembers them. He remembers to hear their prayers. Let me give it to you in the negative first. This is Proverbs twenty-one thirteen. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. I won't listen to the poor. I don't want to hear the poor's cry. Then God won't hear my cry. Now here's, here's it said in a positive way. This is Isaiah 58, 7 and 9. He's talking about God's chosen fast. And the, the Jews in that day were very religious and careful to not eat food during the day and, and all these little prescribed things. And God is, God is just filled with anger towards his own people because they have done all these religious things, but they have neglected the most important things. And so he says, isn't this the fast I've chosen? Is it not... Verse 7, to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. One translation says, not to hide yourself from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in the wrong passage. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. As we respond and open our hearts to the poor and hear their cry, God will quickly hear our cry and say, here I am. I am here. You were there for the poor. I am here for you. And then thirdly, how does God remember those who remember the poor? He brings healing. Isaiah 58, 7 and 8. Again, is it not to share your food to the hungry, to provide for the poor, the wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn your, away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. We, this church believes in healing. We believe it's on God's heart to heal the sick. We believe God wants to move in the supernatural. But friends, it's really important that we grasp this as a church because of our calling as a church. The idea that we're going to have revival and awakening without it being in the context of us helping the poor and opening our hearts to the poor, it's not going to happen. 
It's got to be more than a prayer meeting. It's got to be more than lives that are trying to please God by reading the Bible and praying and, and being good neighbors. We, we need to embrace his heart for the poor. This is when healing will break out in powerful ways. Psalm 41, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. So I want to share with you an experience I had very recently along these lines. So growing up, my dad ran a newspaper, a weekly newspaper called the Milton Courier, and it was a very demanding job because that paper had to come out every single week. We printed on Thursday, and everything started again for next week, and it was a lot of work and really very little pay. My dad was extremely busy all the time and burdened all the time, and we felt that at home. But my dad loved music. And he had such a joy whenever he played banjo. He used to play banjo all the time. And then in his later days, he started playing tuba. And uh, oh my, he loved that tuba. I'll tell you what. I remember the time after we printed the paper, we would go to Shakey's. Because Jimmy and I, my, my little brother, we would go with dad to, to, to do the printing. And then we would go to Shakey's, which is a pizza place. And they had a, they had a piano player. And, and uh, dad just loved music. And he, he goes to the guy at Shakey's. He says, uh, he says, I would really like to play tuba with you sometime. And the piano player is like, yeah. He said, he said, absolutely, we should do that. My dad says, I've got the tuba in the car. Why, why don't I go get it right? He went out and got it and came in and the poor, poor guy has already committed to it. So he was not good on the tuba. Um, <clears throat> but we had a neighbor, we had a neighbor just down the street who was dad's best friend and this guy could play piano by ear. He could play anything. And they, they would get together and they so enjoyed music together. And uh, in the midst of dad's busy schedule. Once a month, him and his buddy would go to a nursing home and they would play. And it it deeply impacted me. Dad said to, to these people have no one they have and to bring a smile to their face. It's such a little thing for us to go and to make a time for them. And so a few years ago, probably maybe five or six years ago now, one of our members became the activity director at the Catholic Care Center and asked me if I would come and do a service at the Care Center. So I, I came and brought my guitar and did a, did a little worship and preached a little message and um, very easy on my part, but I could tell very profound on theirs. And 
So we set it up every couple of months, and then she got another job, and then the new activities director asked me if I would keep coming, and now we're three activities directors later, and I still go to the Catholic Care Center every, every, about every other month. We set up a time, and I go, and uh, so that's, that's the introduction to what happened a few weeks ago. <laughs> this is the Monday, the Monday before we're going to Belize. It was really, really poor scheduling on my part, but I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to do this service at 12.15 at the care center, and then I have an elder meeting that night, and then I preach at 10.30 for the, the first camp meeting for the kids that are going to Belize, and then I leave with the kids at 3 in the morning down to Chicago to start this, this week-long or 10-day trip in Belize, where I'm going to be sleeping in 95-degree weather with no air conditioning, with 15, and I love them all, but smelly boys, and we're not going to be able to read. Well, the, the, the unthinkable happened. Because of circumstances right before this, I had overextended myself, and it's Monday, and I'm sick. I, I am sick. I've got a cold. I'm, I'm on Dayquil. I've got, I, I loaded up with Dayquil and cough drops. And I am just like, this is so bad. I'm starting a missions trip. We're going to start with an all-nighter. And I'm already sick. But there's no way I can do anything about the missions trip. I'm going on this missions trip. And I, uh, so I... It's, 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 it's 11 o'clock Monday morning, and I'm just like, I just want to cancel. I just, I just want to cancel this. I'm just like, I've got, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I really need to sleep. I'm, I'm way overscheduled, and I'm, I'm going to call. I'm just going to send an email to the lady and say, I can't, I can't do it today. Well, I, I just can't do it. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It's so small for me to do what I do. And their lives are so difficult there and so lonely. And so I just decided I was going to do it anyway. So I go, I play my guitar, I preach. The presence of God was there in such a beautiful way. I realized something. All of my symptoms went away. Do you know, after buying all these cough drops and all this Dayquil, I never took a single cough drop or a single medicine all the way down in Belize. I went down, I was healed the entire time. Isn't God good? God remembers those who remember the poor. Point two, how do we remember the poor? First, by not hiding from them. By not insulating ourselves from poverty and from those that are going through a hard time. By not blocking ourselves off so that we have no exposure. I love Andy and Jenny Zirkus. They have, they have walked with the poor in this region for 20 years, and they, they've done it in such a gracious way, and they've called us to come alongside, beside them in such a, a beautiful way of us being able to partner 
with people in, in such a, a dignifying, powerful way. It's never for them been giving a handout, handout down. It's always been with. In whatever ministry they've been in, they've always made friends with people that are in desperate poverty. This is why uh, we go to Belize, because we want to open our teenagers' hearts to poverty in the world. Belize is one of the few countries <coughs> living in poverty that also speaks English. And so we go down and we, we get alongside Ron and Linda Brayton. They have built, this year we built the 106th house that they have built for people that are living in, in desperate poverty. They're very careful how they build these houses. It's for people that, are, that have a job, that are going to church, that are already making right choices. It is coming alongside to empower the poor, not enable the poor. It, they're very careful how they do it. But to expose our kids, we, go, we get down there, we, do, we, do, we did six schools this year, and the way it works is we have this little program, and our teenagers are trained to lead these small groups. So they actually get to hear the stories of the kids. They actually get to touch them and hug them and love on them and expose their hearts um, to those that are living very, very different lives than we live in America. And it makes them better people. This is why we are bringing uh, the compassion experience. <clears throat> they called me and asked if they could bring a country to our church. I understand everybody can't go to a third world country. Everybody can't go on all these missions trips. So they asked if they could bring a country here, and I'm like, oh my, I would absolutely love this. And so they're going to have, they've got, already got one trailer there. There's going to be a couple more. Um, the 19th to the 22nd, you can come, you can bring your family, you, and, and what happens is when you go in, you get these headphones, and you get to hear the story. There's two countries being featured. You get to hear the story of a person in that country, a person. You get to see, and then all the visual things, and, and experience another culture. It's about opening our hearts it's about those who are entitled, those who are, are living very comfortable in America to open up our hearts. It's not about guilt, folks. It's not about feeling guilty that you've got a good and somebody else has a bad. It's about our hearts being changed, our hearts sharing God's heart. How do you how do, you do that? By be exposing yourself, by doing hard things that go against human nature. We tend to insulate our, we have enough need of, needs of our own, don't we? So we insulate ourselves. And God says, no, no, I want you to open up your heart. First to me, and then to, and then to what touches my heart. How do we remember the poor? Secondly, by standing with the least of these. Justice is to stand with and for those who have it worse off than us. Jesus calls them the least of these. When Jesus calls them the least, this is Matthew 25, he is not saying they're less in value. In fact is, he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it to me. They have tremendous value. 
when he, when he talks about the least of these, he's talking about those who have less opportunity than you. He talks about the poor that are financially poor. If you, if you give them food and if you give them drink and if you give them clothes, you have done it for me. He talks about those who are socially poor. He talks about the stranger, those who welcome the stranger, those who will reach out to the stranger beyond their own friendship group, to those who are lonely. God says, you're, you're welcoming me when you open your heart to those that are socially poor. He talks about those who are physically poor. When you visit the sick, when you open your heart to those that, for, for whatever reason, physically ha- are disadvantaged because of genetics, because of whatever the case may be, some people have it very, very difficult physically. And when you visit them, when you take time to be with them, Jesus says, you're visiting me. He talks about the the prisoner, those who have, for whatever reason, gotten in trouble with the law. And oftentimes, morally, it's not equal. People are brought up in environments where, well, did they commit a crime? Yes, they did. But it's not, that's too simple. (laughs) Well, they shouldn't do that. No, they shouldn't. But why did they do that? Coming alongside the prisoner, Jesus says, you're visiting, you're visiting me. Why is it like this? Jesus said, in this current age, you're always going to have the poor with you. You're not going to solve poverty. So why? Why? Why did God set it up this way? The Bible says in Isaiah 42 that in the age to come, that Jesus came to restore justice. Jesus came to bring justice to the whole world. But right now, it says the way he's doing it is is not with an iron rod forcing it. He is coming. It says that a a bruised reed he will not break. It says uh, a smoldering wick he will not put out. That he is not going to be discouraged until he has brought justice to the nations. But right now, it's not overt. It's through the gospel, through redemption. He's coming. He is bringing justice one person at a time. Embracing the poor. Being willing to be a voice for those that have less opportunity than us. Why is it like this? Why did God set it up like this? What is in the mind of God that he would allow this current time? Well, I think we'll all agree that we're in a time of testing. This current age is an age of testing. Here's what I know for sure. God doesn't want us comparing to each other. Do you know what he did with gifts? He gave us all different kinds of gifts, and then he gave us different amounts of the same gift. He gave some one talent, one five, one ten. Just by his own sovereignty, he placed people in the body of Christ differently, gave them different gifts, gave them different amounts, because he didn't want us comparing with each other. He wanted us to learn how to work together and that we would just be faithful with the gifts he gives. Now, he's also sovereignly arranged different circumstances. Did you know it says in in, in Acts 17 that God chose when everybody would be born and where everybody would be born? So why are you born in America and somebody else is born in a third world country? 
sovereignty of God. So every, everybody has been given sovereignly different upbringings, different places in the world, different challenges. And God wants us to love and to work together. We don't have to feel guilty that we live in this country and that we've had so many opportunities, but God wants us to take responsibility and to recognize that we've got what we've got, not just because we work really hard and, and, and we, we've earned what we have. You know what? The Bible actually talks a lot about that, sowing and reaping and working hard and looking to the ant. And, but folks, it's not just that. We live in a land of tremendous opportunity. And most of the world doesn't have that. They, the, the reason why oftentimes the poor don't work hard is because they believe that it never pays. Because everything is set up against them. And so this is how God has set up the world. And so he's looking at us, not with judgment. He's saying, open your eyes to the rest of the world. And I, I want you to do something. I want you to raise your voice for them. I want you to put yourself in their place and act. Listen to uh, Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say... But we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? God wants us to be a voice. He wants us to stand in the gap for those that can't stand up for themselves. One of the first experiences I had in my life with justice was in my sophomore year of high school, the high school cafeteria. It, I had not gone through puberty yet. I am, at this point, I'm five foot four, and I have no hair under my arms. I'm a sophomore in high school. This is humiliating. And I, I just found a friendship group that wouldn't completely reject me. I was just kind of on the fringes of this group, but... It was kind of a safe place, and it was a very, let's just say, enigmatic group. It was a very complicated group of friends. Anyway, um, every morning before school, we would hang out in the cafeteria. We just had a place, and it was the time you were in the cafeteria where it was unsupervised by teachers because nobody was supposed to be there. You just, you had to hang out somewhere before the bell rang, and lots of other kids did too. And one morning, I'll never forget this. It made such a deep impression on me. There was a kid in my class named Mike, and he was, he was always the poorest guy in the class. He had personal hygiene issues. He always smelled from when I had grown up with him. He always had this aura of smell, and he was the butt of many jokes. Well, that particular morning, there was a, a kid in the junior class who was picking on him, big guy, picking on him, and there was a crowd around it, and we're watching this from across the cafeteria, and... Uh, it results in this big guy taking Mike 
and picking him up physically and putting him in a trash can. Part of our group were two seniors, very introverted guys. They were big. And they're at the table. They see this. They don't speak a word to each other. They just look at each other and nod. And they get up, and they take this junior, this big junior, and they put him in the trash can. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I just know I felt, I felt like there was something so right that that happened. And it was one of my first experiences with justice. Somebody speaking for those that had no voice, no power of their own. Somebody that was willing to stand up and do something. I love CareNet. We have supported CareNet as a church, and uh, Alice and I personally have supported them for years. Here's why. They don't, they don't just stand for the unborn and be a voice for the unborn, although they certainly are that. They are also standing and being a voice for these teenage girls that are getting pregnant. Teenage couples that get pregnant. We, they live in a culture that has glorified sex, that has no responsibility connected with sex, and it's all over the place. And then they find themselves pregnant and all alone and terrified and imprisoned and as if they have absolutely no choice except to, to abort the baby. And Karenet has gone out of its way to come alongside these young people and give them options and give them resources and make a way for them to um, have the baby and, and have it adopted or have the baby and, and keep the baby. They've gone out of their way. And I just, I love, I love that it's, it's, it's so easy to be against abortion, but to be for those that feel alone and imprisoned and like they, ha- they don't have a choice. Nobody wants to abort a baby. To come alongside them and to speak for them and to speak to them and to help them. It's just beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful ministry in this region. Justice. How do we remember the poor in, in this way of, of justice? Thirdly, and lastly, by learning from the poor. James 2.5 says this. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? The poor speak if you'll let them speak to you. Jesus, in Luke 21, they're, 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 everybody's putting money in the giving box. And he sees this widow and he says to his disciples, do you see this poor widow? She put in more money than everybody else. They're like, what? They all put out of their access. She put what she's living on. She put it in there. This is a, a life pleasing to God. I was with Pastor 
Um, while we were down in Belize, we got to speak a couple times at a church called Fusion. It's Ron and Linda's church that they go to. It's a powerful, powerful church. Their pastor, his name is Dave. Amazing guy. I'm actually hoping to get him here for our missions conference, not this year, but the next year, because he's, he's a dynamic voice. But I got to hear his whole story. He was pastoring a very successful church in the United States, and God called him and his wife to Spanish Lookout, which is in Belize, and in a, in a profound way, they were called down there, and he's been down there now, I think it's eight years, and he says, uh, this church is just so dynamic. He says, he says to me, he says, I just, he says, I just love these people. He said, it's easier financially in the United States, but as a pastor, the passion that these people bring to worship, the passion that they have for God. He said, it's just, it's just contagious. These people are so easy to pastor because of their hunger for God. Sometimes the more we have, the more dim our light becomes. Learning from the poor. On our way to Belize and on the way back, I was reading a book called The Kitchen House. And uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, the whole book is about this family of slaves that live in the kitchen house, not the big house. The big house is where the white folk live and this is where the black folk that, that are slaves live. And the whole book is written from their perspective. Powerhouse. To hear the message that the oppressed and the poor have for those who are entitled. The problem with entitlement, of course, is, is after a while you can't see it anymore. These, I, I think of some of the movies. It's very much like The Help. The Help is a, is a book and a movie, best-selling book and movie in this country. It's about, it's the 1950s, and it's about how The Help, the, the, those that are the servants see the entitled and, and how they experience life. And it's very helpful for our hearts, no pun intended. Hidden Figures, amazing movie about these black women in the 1960s with, with NASA and, and their perspective on life. It's very, very helpful, especially for those that are entitled. Um, but one of my favorite movies of all time is 42. 42 is the, is the Jackie Robinson story. Jackie Robinson in 1947 broke the color barrier in baseball. He's the first black man to play baseball in the major leagues. There had been two leagues. There had been a Negro League and there had been the, the White League and there was a very, very clear wall. And this owner uh, of the Brooklyn Dodgers named Branch Rickey decided that he was, going to, he was going to break that color barrier. And he, so he brought Jackie Robinson over. And um, the movie tells the story very accurately. When he first interviewed Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson says, so you're, you want somebody that has the courage to fight back. He's, and Branch Rickey says, no, no, no. No, no, I need somebody with the courage not to fight back. They're going to spit on you. They're going to mock you. They're going to hate you. 
And I need you, I need you to have the courage to turn the other cheek. I need you to forgive them in advance. I need you to not let them get to you. This is the only way that it will work. So he began 1947 playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Early in that season, their first time in Cincinnati. Pee Wee Reese, the all-star shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers, received uh, some mail. And it, was, it, it bordered on a death threat. And that his own family, because Pee Wee Reese is on this team and playing alongside Jackie Robinson. And if you play today, bad things are going to happen. And he was just terrified. He went into the manager and he said, uh, he said, I, I don't really know what my response should be, but this is, the, I'm putting my own family at jeopardy. Here's what the manager said. He said, Pee Wee, I, do, I don't, I do, I don't in any way want to negate this threat, but I want you to see something. He pulls out this file that's this thick of death threats to Jackie Robinson. And he goes out there and plays every day. This is, this is what's coming for Jackie. They're in pregame. It's the first time that the Dodgers have taken the field. And the crowd starts booing and they start calling out many, many chants about Jackie Robinson. And... Uh, Pee Wee Reese takes the, the trip from shortstop over to first base and puts his arm around Jackie Robinson. And the whole, the whole stadium is, it goes quiet because now we've got an all-star that is standing with him. Jackie Robinson said about that moment, He said, after that moment, I knew I was never alone again on a baseball field. Him and Pee Wee Reese became close friends. Pee Wee Reese was a, was a pallbearer in Jackie Robinson's funeral in 1972. And at Pee Wee Reese's funeral in 1999, a, an African-American, prominent African-American spoke. And he said to Pee Wee, when you put your arm around Jackie Robinson, you put your arm around every African-American in this country. Standing up for those who have no voice of their own. Isaiah 61 says this, that Jesus came he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. So here's what happened in the gospel. You and I are morally poor. In fact, the Bible says we're bankrupt spiritually. We are beyond beggars spiritually. That every one of us has no case at all before God because we're all guilty of sin. And at that time, when our sins stood against us, Jesus left heaven, and he came, and he put his arm around every single 
one of us. It says this, that he who knew no sin became sin in order to make us right with God. This is, this is what communion is about. It's about Jesus taking our place, dying for us so that we could be forgiven. I want to read Colossians 3, 13 and 14 to you. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Every sin that you have committed, every sin that you've committed in your past, every sin that you commit in your future, every sin that you committed this morning, God took it and he nailed it to the cross. He said to Jesus, if you will go, if you will die, I will not make you, I will not take your life from you, but if you will go and do this, I will make the entire human race, I will make it available to be right with me. And Jesus said, I will go. I will lay my life down. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if it's not possible, your will be done. The cup was the sin of the world. The cup in that cup was God's judgment against sin, your sin, my sin, the world's sin. There was no other way for forgiveness except that Christ would come and die in our place. This is the gospel. When we had no voice, our voice was lost because of our sins. We had no voice before God. We had no voice of our own righteousness. There is no righteousness that we bring to the table. When we had no voice, someone came from heaven and took our place. we could have every head bowed and every eye closed. This is the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news is this. God loves you. Jesus came for you. And he died in your place. Your sins are not keeping you from God right now. Your pride is. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in and he will bring this righteousness, this relationship with God. The only thing that keeps us is our unbelief, and usually it's rooted in our own pride, that we're going to be our own savior. We're, 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 we're going to take a chance on our own righteousness, on our own goodness. Friend, I love you today. You have no chance. You have no chance. That's why Jesus came into this world. So if that's you today, you know you're a sinner, but you believe that God loves you, and you believe that even in this service that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and you want to open up your heart to him and say, Lord, please come in. I've got every head bowed because this is between you and God. I have people raise their hand because somebody help me pray. Somebody help me open my door. And I love helping people open their door. 
So if that is you, with every head bowed, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it, and I'll pray for those people all over this place. Okay. Okay, and then could we all stand together? The reason why I prayed at the beginning that God would not just instruct us, but that he would touch us and open us is because this is a message more for our heart than our head. This isn't statistics and logic. This is opening our hearts to God's heart. Would you mind just opening your arms like this, closing your eyes, and I just want to pray for us. Lord, we are a blessed people. We are blessed with so many resources and so many options. And so we have been empowered in so many ways. Thank you for this country that you have raised up. Thank you for putting us in this place for such a time as this. Now, Lord, we don't want to waste our lives on ourselves. We don't want to raise children that waste their lives on themselves and become like a black hole. Just, it's all about me. Lord, would you save us from us? Would you open our hearts to those around us that are struggling? Would you take judgment out of our heart towards people of that, that, that seem like they aren't, aren't doing as well as we're doing. Take that judgment out of our heart, Jesus. You're the only one that judges. You're the only one that knows what's going on in people's lives. You called us to do justly and then to love mercy for others. Open our hearts to your heart, God. Please. Father, we pray as compassion is coming next week, to, to talk about sponsoring children and then they're bringing this country here for those three days for this whole region. God, would you make this a hot spot? Because we are trying to remember the poor. Trying to expose American culture to the poor. Help us, God. You have blessed us and I pray you'd continue to bless us but also that you would make us a blessing everywhere we go, God. Help us to live out the gospel and remember the poor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you folks. We're going to have ministry teams up front. If you'd like more prayer, come on up. Otherwise, have a great day and a great week.